Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast for May 6, 2023. This is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC. As usual, I am joined by my uh, little buddy here, Nelly the Bunny. Nelly, anything? No, I'm just going to snack on the treat. Yep, so we've got nothing from Nelly at the moment. I'm sure Nelly will uh, chime in in a little while. Uh, beer of the evening tonight. So last night, a couple uh, people saw we were doing a stone IPA night. Today, we're doing the Sweetwater IPA. Um, they have two pretty different, I think, kind of beers. Uh, the Sweetwater, it's it's pretty decent. I've had this before. It's a uh, it's a lighter taste, I think, than some of the others. Definitely not as bitter, um, you know, as some of the other IPAs that I usually like. But Decided to go with this one this week, um, you know, at least until the, the scale tips up, and then we'll have another one of those Michelob Ultra weeks or something. Um, hopefully no time soon on that, but, <laughs> um, you know, but we'll, we'll be back to the uh, IPAs for now. So we're going back to uh, beer suggestions. So if anyone has any beer suggestions, uh, you know, you, you guys can let me know, and, um, you know, I'll try something out during the podcast and uh, just give an opinion on that. Uh, just know that I'm in northwestern Jersey, so... You know, you're kind of limited to what's distributed within our area. Um, you know, that's why the, this is, I think, from Georgia. But, you know, a lot of the stuff here, usually I'm drinking stuff from, you know, New York area, New Jersey breweries, um, you know, Delaware, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, you get a lot of that. I don't get a lot of the stuff around here Midwest, which is too bad because I when I used to go out that way um, a little bit for some stuff. And when I would go out to Indiana, you know, you, you would get a lot of um, different varieties of things that you could try there, at least in, uh, Bloomington. And yeah, I'm sure in Indianapolis as well. Yeah, I know they have the, the two local breweries, uh, there in Indiana and some of the other stuff. But when I go out to Bloomington, um, you know, you would just have a, a big selection of stuff, uh, that they would have. And I'm sure Indy has the same thing. It's just, uh, I would just kind of float into, um, a uh, couple things there, and you, usually I didn't really look as much as to what the options were of the times I'm actually in Indi- Indianapolis itself. Um, but yeah, so beer suggestions. Feel free to uh, send them on over, and we'll see what we have. Um, I'm going to try to do a couple of videos this week as well. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about some of that stuff here, but I'll just mention, I, I think I'm going to do a small video on this Jordan Love contract thing. And I'll talk about that in a minute here. It'll probably be rehashing some of the same stuff. But it was one of those where I think that having the numbers in front of you is actually a little bit better. I want to do something on some of the draft trades as well. Um, Not sure if I'll actually end up doing that just because it's at this point not timely whatsoever. So I don't know how many people would really be interested in it. Uh, I think it's interesting in terms of valuing trades because there was a lot of discussion this week on trade valuations and premium versus non-premium picks. And, you know, you, you just get into these things where people get very defensive um, about stuff. And, you know, I'll talk about that a little bit probably tonight too. But I think where we're going to start out tonight is going to be the Lamar Jackson contract because that one, you know, finally gets done and we finally get the numbers on it. And very quickly, the people that were complaining, 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 um, stop complaining. Um, when you're that level of player, there, there, there's areas where the agent is going to help you. But when you get into talking about things on overall value and guarantees and stuff like that, it's not really going to change anything. 
you know, you, you are that level of player. And unless you do something that is just kind of out of the ordinary and something that's against the norm, you're pretty much going to hit those metrics. And, you know, the, the people that were complaining and saying, well, you know, he would have had this with an agent. It, it, it was all just a bunch of nonsense. And it was very quickly... Um, you know, brushed off to the side. No, no real apologies for it. Just kind of brushed off to the side. That okay, yeah, the deal is pretty good, but um, you know, but there's really no but. So it was just pretty much straight reporting in the numbers, and you know, that was that. And it's a it's a decent contract, um, but it, it's not like a market changer. It's not like a game changing contract. It, it's reflective of the next man up. Uh, I thought it was, I think it was Albert Breer that had a tweet that I think was actually pretty good where he said, you know, the contract wasn't revolutionary, it's evolutionary. And I think that's the accurate way to put it. Um, You know, this was essentially the next man up type of contract. He gets a lot of money in the first year of the deal. Um, You know, relative to Jalen Hurts, when I talked about Jalen Hurts last week, I talked about how... You know, it was a market mover, but it wasn't really a, a complete market setter, right? It, it took him until the third year of the contract to really begin to reset the market. And a lot of times you look at that as a kind of contract that's given to someone who maybe isn't really considered top of the position, but it's very important for him to get that top of the position annual value. And that's one of the ways that you can get there. With the Jackson we, we do hit those market metrics at every single stage. So if you look at the cash flows on the deal, you know, he's going to get the largest signing bonus ever given to a player. I think it's $72.5 million. Uh, his cash flow this year is going to be $80 million. Um, that's the best in the league by close to 7%. I mean, that, that's a pretty big movement. Uh, remember, this is the Ravens, though. The, the Ravens do this with almost all their players. So th- this is not something out of the ordinary. If anything, this is probably light compared to what the Ravens usually do. But this is also a massive contract, um, so you know sometimes you got to throw some of those other comparisons out. Uh, he's at 112.5 million through year two. That's two and a half million more than Russell Wilson, uh, who was the prior number one through two years. Uh, year three cash flows will hit 156. That moves him one million dollars per year or three million total over Jalen Hurts. And you'll notice a trend here. Now he's got 208 versus 204. So now we're 1 million a year, 4 million over Jalen Hurts. And in year five, we are the full 5 million, still remaining that $1 million a year over the Jalen Hurts contract. So it's very clear that they pegged the end of the contract to the Jalen Hurts numbers and just kind of went up from there. And it, it seems as if that that's probably actually how this whole thing went down. Um you know, where, where you look at that first year, which is the little bit of that unique part to it, right? We, we jump from Dak Prescott 75 to 80, but it, it's pretty consistent then across the board. We're 2.5 million above Russell Wilson. We're 3 million above Jalen Hurts. We're 4 million above Jalen Hurts. We're 5 million above Jalen Hurts. Um, that's basically a contract that you're just kind of pegging to market and saying, okay, where do we go next? Like, where, where do we... Where is it going to make you happy, um, you know, to be over this player, this player, this player, whatever the case may be? 
So that that's different from the deals that are the guys that move that market, um, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent, and they kind of net um, set new standards where you know there's a big disparity, um, you know, between years, like a, a bigger disparity. Even if a contract came in at fifty-two um, per year, would probably be something along the lines of like eighty-five million through year one. Um, maybe something like 116 through year two, 160 through year three, two ten ish, maybe through year four, and then you drop down to that 260 where you're just the five million over market. So you know you would really um, leverage ahead in those first three years, and then you would tail off on the back end. And there's a reason that you you take contracts like that if you're a player. It makes it easier for you to renegotiate on the back end. Like if you if you look at um, Aaron Donald, for example, you know that that ended up being a brilliant piece of work for him because he signed a deal that was really heavy cash up front, and then it came down on those back end years to get his APY in line with what they wanted to do at like the twenty two million or so, and then as soon as the the money started to kind of lower and stabilize. He went out there and was like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of thinking of retiring. And they're like, whoa, whoa, what what if we up your salary by like a lot? And it made the Rams' investment in him, instead of $22 million a year, which is what they had up front, really work out to something as, as if they would have signed like a $26 or $27 million a year contract years ago. You know, just way, 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 um, you know, in a different time frame. So th- those are kind of little things that you look for. Um, you know, with these deals. Now, I, I don't know if Jackson would have gotten that with an agent. I can't say that he he wouldn't have, and I can't say he would have. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it, it's a little bit of a weird thing with him, only because he's only played in the last two seasons, I think it's 24 games. I think it's 12 games a year. Uh, he doesn't have the playoff success to fall back on that some of the other quarterbacks do, but he does have an MVP. So... You know, it's kind of like, can you sell yourself as that elite level player where you're not next man up, um, you know, but you're someone that kind of shatters the norms or, you know, are are you, um, you know, the the, the special type of player, something like that. And, you know, he he didn't get that treatment here. I don't know if he would have gotten it, though, otherwise. Um, You know, you can't say that he would have, can't say that he wouldn't have. you know, guarantees 135 full, uh, 185 injury. And, you know, you, you can kind of look at the the way his contract breaks down. And this is pretty fair, um, you know, com- compared to these players. But you, you can see the one thing that he misses out on here. So I have these charts uh, on OTC. And this is one where probably a video would work better again to show that dead money. Because basically you have a couple of different trigger years um, that are going to be in this contract. But here, here's the deal. If he was going to be cut next year, the Ravens would have to pay him a total of 135 If he was cut in 2025, he would earn $156 million. And this is being cut before the season begins. So that would mean for 2023 and 2024, he would have made $156 million, which is you know pretty good. Through 2026... Would be at 185. If he got cut in 2027, they'd have to pay him 208. And 
if the contract expired, you know, obviously he earns the full 260. So for the Ravens, really the, the only years that it would make sense for them to, um, you know, release him would probably be the last year of the contract. Uh, you know, if you release him in 2027, I would say the contract comes off as a failure, even though it does work out to having paid him, you know, 52 million a year, you know, because the contract is caught up to the, the APY through those three years. It would mean that the, it somewhere in there, you had a failure of a year, right? You, you would have had a, a failure of a year if you, um, if you were to cut him in uh, 2026, uh, 2025, 2024. So, you know, I, I think from that perspective, um, you know, you, you want to get out of this contract probably through the expiration of the deal, um, you know, is probably what you're, you're aiming at here. Uh, you know, his front end protection is right in line with what you get in the market. Uh, you know, if he was cut in year two of his deal, he would earn 52% of his contract. Jalen Hurts would have earned 48. Josh Allen would have earned 53% of his five-year value. Um, 60% for Jackson and Hurts through year three. 63.5% for Allen. That's fine. That's close. Year four. 71% for Jackson. 69% for Hurts. 71% for Allen. All in the same range. Here is the one area where I thought that um, Jackson missed out a little bit. And th this is the kind of protection that those upper echelon players have. And that's where you get into if he was cut in that fifth year, you know, that, that we talked about in 2027, I guess that is, he would earn 80% of his contract. That's the same as Jalen Hurts, who would earn 80% of his contract if he was cut in that fifth, uh, before the fifth year. Um, Josh Allen, though, would earn 99.5% of his total. The only thing he'd miss out on is a workout bonus, I believe, uh, from that year because his guarantee structure is such that he unlocks guarantees um, that weren't guaranteed at signing. Like, they're not injury protected, but they are guarantees that kick in if he's on the roster at a certain date. Now, Josh Allen had to take a longer deal to get that, right? He's under contract for six years uh, Lamar Jackson's only on the contract for five. But that was kind of the area that I thought Jackson probably could have exploited a little bit, and he didn't get that. Um, and that that's just to have that guarantee structure that is the same as Allen, that's the same as Mahomes. And you know, Allen's contract is close enough in length to where I thought that should have been a factor here. And Allen has more playoff success, but it, it's not as if... Um, you know, Allen doesn't have Super Bowl wins, right? He doesn't have that. Um, I don't think Josh Allen has an MVP, does he? I, I don't think so. Uh, so, I mean, th there, are some, there are some comparisons that I think you can draw um, that, you know, Jackson maybe didn't do when it came to that. So, I mean, I, I thought that was a little thing. I do think that is the one area where I would say an agent may have been able to help him there. Um, you know, you, you might have gotten something that would have kicked in. Uh, you know, it, it's a couple little things. You know, he's got a $750,000 roster bonus each year. That's worthless. You know, you're looking for those roster bonuses to give you protection in terms of a release date. 
Um, so really, you want those bonuses to be big. Like even Jalen Hurts in the back end of his deal has a five million and a ten million. So that kind of at least makes the Eagles have to make a decision at that point. Uh, Josh Allen has some big roster bonuses at the end. Kyler Murray has big roster bonuses um, in the those out years of the contract. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has them. So that that was another area that I, I thought the the kind of deal fell short in. But again, it, it's not the it's not anything that's like crazy. It's just little things where I think if you got down in the weeds and you you agreed to this um, valuation on a contract, that you could probably get those things in place, um, you know, for you just just to give you that little bit of extra protection. It's not much. It's just a little bit. Uh, it doesn't get any per game bonuses in there. I thought that was pretty big. Um, you know, we, we've seen some of these guys get some per gamers in there that. Uh, you know, have health concerns. So that that was a good thing for him. Um, salary cap structure, you know, this is very reminiscent of the Joe Flacco deal. Um, you know, you've got the uh, double option, I believe, in it. Sign, big signing bonus, double option. Lower kind of cap numbers on the front end. Not as low as a Jalen Hurts, but lower numbers. And then the numbers skyrocket on the, the end of the deal. I still don't know 100% if he's got those void years in the deal. I believe he does. Um and I'm thinking they could maybe even have some other ones tacked on there, but I, I'm not 100% certain on that. But, you know, the, the lowest you're talking about are cap numbers that are like $74, $75 million. Um, so structurally, I mean, it's it's very solid in his favor. Um, you know, Flacco, Flacco basically got himself an extension by simply signing his first contract, you know, where you talk about structure matters. It was a deal that was structured in a way where the Ravens were basically, you know, just going to be up the creek without a paddle if you don't keep him. And, you know, so he was able to to negotiate two deals that were top of the market within like three years of each other. And Flacco was by no means uh, top of the NFL quarterback. Never at any point in his career. So that, that was a, a really good job, um, you know, I think in the structure that Jackson got here, I think it, it will open up stuff in the future to where the Ravens have to make a decision. Now, he's got the no trade clause, you know, that that's a whatever. Um, he got a no franchise tag provision. That one surprised me. And I, I don't know exactly what to make of that. You know, th there's a couple of ways that you can look at those things. You know, the, the no tag, the no tag on a quarterback is probably not a super risky thing, um, especially for a player representing himself. You know, that maybe doesn't have somebody talking to him saying, you know, let, let's just see where we can get the best deal. Um, you know, quarterbacks, I, I talk about this a lot, I, I think, um, when it comes to, to pushing with contracts. I always say quarterbacks never push the contracts. Uh, part of the reason they never push him is because the money is so big that you know, do you really have to, if we're pushing and we're, we're you know, going to be offered $52 million, do we really need to sit here and try to force our hand to get 56 you know, 57 it, it, At that point, it's almost almost becomes meaningless because the, the money is so large um, that we're talking about. But, you know, I, I think the, the quarterback is really the only player on a team that is really identified as the team. He's the guy that takes the helmet off 
and you still probably recognize him. You know, you, you don't do that with a lot of other players. You know, he's the face of your franchise. He's the guy that's out there in front of the cameras talking. Um, you know, he's the person that is most well-liked unless he becomes a bad player, uh, in which case he becomes the most hated guy. But, you know, he's the most well-liked, the most popular, the, the most popular among the younger uh, kids who watch the game. Um, you know, he, he's the guy that a lot of the kids want to emulate. You know, there, there's a couple of positional players that do break through that, but by and large, it's the quarterback. And you become so entrenched in the community, um, you know, so used to the organization, so used to the the fan base and everything else. It's almost like you don't want to stir the card. It's like you, you get to the point where you're going to make so much money. Your next thing up really is your legacy, which is can you win a Super Bowl? You know, how well you play. And I, I think when you look at players like a Drew Brees, you know, who had the that ability to leave a team, it never came into play. So that might be part of their thinking. Now, I know you're going to say, well, what about an Aaron Rodgers? What about Tom Brady? Those are end of career kind of things. When you're talking about guys who, you know, are at the end of their careers and their original teams are kind of giving up on them saying, you know, we need to turn the corner. We need to turn the page. That's a different that's a different situation uh, where those guys end up leaving. But for the guys in the prime of their careers, you know, I, I think you end up not wanting to leave. You, know, you don't want to uproot your family. You just don't want those changes. So in that respect, it doesn't mean much. Um, the other thing is the way his contract is structured, if he's got a $75 million cap hit, give or take a little bit, in the final year of his deal, well, that would put his franchise tag number at something like a, uh, close to $100 million, right? Uh, what is he at? 74.5? Be 20% higher than that? $89.4 million. I mean, that that's a huge number. So I don't care how much our salary cap is going to go up. I'm not sure you can really commit that kind of figure um, to one player five years from now. Um, you know, when you, you get into it. So they may look at it as like, well, there's not a situation where we're going to franchise tag him anyway. So, you know, I think those things may have played a role. The other possibility is they do look at this contract as more of a five-year deal and that's that, or a four-year deal and, you know, try to convince you to be traded or something like that. Um, you know, maybe they don't envision this the way that some of the other teams do where even if you're signing a guy to a five-year deal, you're looking at it as like a 10-year deal. You know, like when I look at Jalen Hurts' deal... The Eagles are clearly all in on Jalen Hurts. Like it's they did a five, but they're structured that thing to where if he's not with this team for seven, eight, nine years, it's probably a big mess. Um, this one isn't structured that way. Um, you know, while it is structured to kind of force their hand after three years, if they don't, you know, pull the trigger at that point, there is an out in that fifth year of the contract. And, you know, they're not going to leave themselves completely, you know, screwed up, um, you know, if they have to do that. And they don't have so much money, excuse me, attributed to those void years to where they couldn't just let his contract expire. So maybe in the back of their mind, they're also thinking that there's a possibility that, you know, at the at the time when he's going to be 30, 31 years old, you know, he might not be a franchise tag candidate for them. 
you know, there's a possibility that, um, you know, that would exist. So I, I think that was something too. Uh, in terms of the timing on stuff, you know, there were, there were people that were complaining a lot about the end. It wasn't done before, blah, 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 blah. Once you make it through the season, okay, once, once you are a player who makes it through the year, um, there's no need to rush into a contract. You know, you let other players increase the market. Jackson's number moved to 52 million, not because the Ravens were just going to be like, well, we're going to throw you an extra couple million over our initial offer. It's that the market moved because of Jalen Hurts. So it forced them to give him more money because he had to be the highest paid quarterback. There was no way they were going to get that deal done without making him the highest paid quarterback. So they had to do that. So by waiting, you know, he increased his value. Could he have waited longer? It's possible. But, you know, the, the next two guys who are going to sign are probably going to be Burrow and Herbert. And there's a good chance that that won't be until August. You know, he, he doesn't, Lamar Jackson doesn't have an opportunity to sign an extension in August. He has to sign by um, July 15th, July 9th, mid-July um, is the, the last date by, with a, by which a franchise tag player can sign a multi-year extension. So we'll see how things work out from here. Um, but overall, you know, it's a good deal for him. It's not a dramatic change of the market. Um, you know, it's certainly not a fully guaranteed contract, but we all knew that was never, ever, ever going to happen. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a good contract. And I, I don't think anyone could look at that and say, okay, an agent clearly would have done a better job for him. Yeah, there's little areas where maybe, you know, could have. Um but, you know, I, I don't I don't think there's too many spots where you would say, you know, that's definitely the case. I know uh, Florio put out an article talking about endorsements and um, draft status and engineering a trade out of Baltimore. Like, come on. None of that stuff. You know, that that's just trying to beat a dead horse for the sake of beating a dead horse. You know, the days of draft manipulation are more or less done. I mean that that's not a uh, the those days are kind of done um, done with you know the marketing I mean you can hire people to do marketing for you you know they, they, those are often other agreements and you see a lot of times someone will have um, one group do marketing and one do one group do representation you know you you can you see that often. So, I mean, it's not like he couldn't hire somebody to help with that. You know, get a deal done earlier. Yeah, maybe he, he would have uh, eliminated that chance of that injury in those 12 games. But, um, you know, he made more money by not signing. You know, he made more money by waiting. So, you know, I, I think that one was perfectly fine. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Jordan Love with Green Bay. Signing what is possibly one of the, the, the dumbest contracts I've ever seen a player do. Like, I just, I didn't get this one at all. So, if you're, you're not aware of this, um, Jordan Love was up for an option this year. Now, he hasn't played much at all, right? He's, um, you know, he's hardly played at all. How many, how many passes has he even thrown in his career? Look it up. 
you know, Jordan Love is thrown for 195 yards. Uh, that, that's probably last year's numbers. Uh, let's see. Um, Owen one as a starter. Yeah, 195 yards was last year. Um, 606 yards in a couple of games that he's played. Uh, so we, we don't have much to go on. And, you know, his option salary was about $20 million. Okay, give or take a little bit. Let's just call it $20 million. And he ended up taking a contract that will guarantee him 13.5 instead of the 20. So basically he was operating under the assumption that the Packers were not going to pick up the option on him. And they gave him the upside to get to about 22 million, 22.5. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but he takes a, a pay cut all the way down from 20 to 13.5, uh, really for no good reason. Like I I have never seen a player bet against themselves. And that's exactly what he did. He bet against himself being a decent player. Like I, I've never, never heard of that, right? We, we see players take a prove-it contract. You take less money to prove that you're worth more money. But those are players who don't have another option. Like you're a free agent. You know, you don't like the, the dollars being offered, so you take a low contract where it's somewhere that you know you're going to get an opportunity to play and you think you're going to have an opportunity to do well. Jordan Love was under contract. Jordan Love was going to be the starters of the Green the starter of the Green Bay Packers. On top of that, you know, he had all the leverage in the world with Green Bay because how bad would it look for Green Bay? To decline the option on him in the same year you trade away Aaron Rodgers and then have Love go out and play pretty well and now you get into the same kind of contract dispute stuff that, you know, you, you just saw happen with Lamar Jackson. Like, that, that, that was the option for the Packers here if they were to decline the option. So, you know, Love gets some extra money this year, but... I just don't get it. Like, I, I've never seen, I have just haven't seen anything like this. So here are his incentives. And they're not even incentives. I don't even know if they're guaranteed. All right, they're escalators. Um, meaning they increase the salary in 2024. They don't actually get paid out for 2023. So here is what he would need to match and exceed his option year salary. 65% playtime gets him $500,000. That's probably a reasonable thing that he's going to earn. A million dollars gets him the Pro Bowl. That one's probably a little bit tough. 500000 for 65% playtime and top 10 quarterback rating. Um, that would be about a 95-2. if he's got that 65% playtime and top 10 in completion percentage. That'd be about 66.7. He gets another 500,000 if he's top 10 in touchdown passes. That require 25. 500,000 top 10 passing yards. That'd be about 3,700 yards. Maybe he'll earn one or two of those. Probably not all of them. He gets a million dollars, 65% playtime with 10 wins or the playoffs. Or 
if he's in that top 10, I believe, in the uh, quarterback rating and the touchdown passes. Uh, he can get $500,000, 65% playtime, but a top 16 passer rating. Uh, so that'd drop it down to about 91. 500,000 if he's top 16 in completion percentage, that's about a 65. 500,000 if he's top 16 in passing yards, that's about 3,100 yards. And uh, top 16, someone had passing, I'm, I'm, I think it was Breer that put these out. I'm assuming that's TD passes because they, they were very consistent just following the same stuff over and over again. Uh, that'd be 18 passes, but he can only earn three of those incentives. So the, of those last four that I mentioned that were total $2 million, um, he can only earn three of those. He can't earn all, all four. Then you've got team escalators. 500000 if he makes the playoffs. 500000 if they have a playoff win. A million dollars for conference championship win. And a million dollars for Super Bowl win. You could just throw most of that stuff out. So he's probably not going to earn what he earned in the option. You know, and people, you know, People got so triggered that are Packers fans trying to, to say that this was like a great job by the Packers and him. And I, I couldn't believe the people online said, oh, yeah, that's a fair deal for both sides. Like, what, in what world are you, you watching football? In what world are you looking at quarterback salaries? In what world are you looking at the way teams bend over backwards for the quarterback? A quarterback with a pulse... It is basically a legal right to extort the team for money. And you go and do this deal. And then, you know, you got people like, well, no, he, he can earn it in incentives. Plus, he's not proven, so this gives him a chance to prove himself. What? It gives him time to settle in? What? What of these incentives is he going to earn if he has that Aaron Rodgers, like, uh, you know, first year, you know, when Rodgers came in, you know, after Favre. So we can throw out all the playoff stuff. So we're going to throw out uh, $2 million, $3 million, uh, $4 million in that incentive package. So now we're way under that uh, that $20 million there, definitely. Probably not going to be top 10 in any of those categories. We throw out another $2 million. We're not going to get the Pro Bowl. So we're up to uh, three, four, five, six we're throwing out from there. So, you know, it, it's like you, you're just costing yourself money. And then it's like, and if he plays great, he's still going to get paid. That is 100% correct. But you know what? He still has to honor this stupid salary that he, he put in there for next year. Uh, how, mu how much is that? Let, let me look it up. I didn't put his numbers online yet because I don't know if they have void years in them. I think he will. But at the moment, he's got a $6 million salary. So if he doesn't take this deal, he would have gotten his old salary, which is uh, $2.2 and then he would have gotten his extension on top of that. Let's just call it fifty million over five. So you'd make two fifty-two over five years. I'm sorry, over six years. You know, would would be your your earning potential over the next six years. He took this deal instead. So now what he's going to earn this year is going to be nine point eight million. 
let's say he earns a couple million in those incentives. Let, let's let's say he does pretty well. Let's say he earns six million even of them. All right, let's just say that. I doubt he will, but let's let's even say he goes that far. And then he's got his uh, six million dollar salary next year. And then he's going to get that extension after that. And now we're looking at 50 over four years. Why? Because he's got to honor that one. So his take home in this situation is going to be 221.8. What's our difference? Our difference there is $30.2 million you cost yourself in that time frame. Because now you got to honor this deal. So that's if you ball out, you still cost yourself a bunch of money. Now, you'll have another year, but under the first scenario, you would have been a free agent. So you'd be a free agent after those five years. So, you know, now we have that difference. If they would have taken the option and he balls out, he still gets that extension. So at least in that case, you know, if he, I'm sorry, if he would have forced them into the option... You know, he would have made 230 Again, that's way better than what's on this current deal. You know, if you say, all right, well, you know, he's hedging his bets, even at the worst case, not, not, I won't say worst case scenario, but if you played decent enough, you know, you'd be looking at the franchise tag. So even if, even if you take this deal, you say, okay, I'm willing to take it. You know, I need to prove myself. I, you don't want to pick me up on the 20. I got to prove it. What is the Packers option if they don't pick up the option? It would be to franchise tag him. The franchise tag next year is going to be 35, 36, 37, 38 million dollars. Something like that. That's his upside earning potential if he doesn't get an extension but just gets a one-year contract. How do you not have the upside in this to be able to reach that kind of number? It shouldn't be the upside to prove I can reach the option. Once you're telling me that I can't obtain the option, once you're telling me that that option is not there for me, the next thing on the table is the franchise tag for the Green Bay Packers. You have to have the ability to make your salary escalate to that franchise tag level. Now, you want to say there's a little bit of a trade-off for taking a guarantee? That's fine. You know, if you want to say that the franchise tag next year would be about 38, and you want to max me out at 35, 33, fine. Go ahead and do it. But you have to have a viable path to 20, just to make up for the option, and you have to have a viable path to mid-30s to basically reward yourself because the Packers took the, the, the option off the table. And it doesn't take much to get that deal. So I, I wanted to look up a couple of these contracts, and this is what I was going to throw up there in a video if I get around to doing it, just to illustrate it because... I, I think people just don't want to see things. Daniel Jones, terrible career. Terrible. Jordan Love didn't play. You may as well say Daniel Jones didn't play. 
because it was terrible those first three years. What did he do last year? 3,200 passing yards, 15 touchdowns, 67% completion percentage, 92.5 um, quarterback rating, and one playoff win. So that would have gotten him on this deal. Uh, that would have gotten him the 65% play time. I don't think Daniel with Daniel Jones, I don't think he made the initial Pro Bowl. I'm not sure if he made it at all. He wasn't a top 10 in uh, anything, right? 9267 He would have Okay, so he would have been top 10 completion percentage. He's not top 10 touchdown passing yards. He would have made the playoffs. He would have had a playoff win. Uh top 16 QBR, let's see. 925. So he would have been a top 16 QBR. Top 16 completion percentage. Uh, iffy on the passing. I'll, I'll give him those. I'll say he would have gotten that. So Daniel Jones on this deal would have earned 500 plus 500. Would have earned $4.5 million in escalators. So his deal would have been the 13.5 plus another 4.5. It would have paid him 18 million. Do you know how much Daniel Jones is making this year? Daniel Jones. Let's see. Let's just see. He's got 80 million, 80 million guaranteed, 81 guaranteed. He's going to earn 45 this year, another 36 the year after that. So playing as good as Daniel Jones gets him 18 instead of just getting him right to the extension. Now, we, we've got another player. Who was one of the other players I had uh, pulled up here? Jalen Hurts. Okay, Jalen Hurts last year. Uh, conference championship win, made the Pro Bowl, 3,700 yards, 22 touchdowns, 66-5, 101-5. He got a $51 million contract extension. Um. On this format, you know, he, he would have gotten most of those uh, top 10s, I think. Let's see. Let me just put these right here. So he would have had a top 10. He would not have been top 10 in the touchdown passes. Um, he probably would have missed out on the completion percentage as well, uh, just barely. So for him, we would have been looking at a 65% play time. We would have been looking at the Pro Bowl uh, quarterback rating. I think he just misses out on the completion percentage. Just misses out touchdown passes. Let me just see which else. He would have gotten the... What was his passing yards? 37. Uh, yeah, we'll give him the passing yards. Let's give him the passing yards there. We have a top 10 there. We've got uh, playoffs. We've got three tiers of this. 
We got top 16. So he would have earned $7 million. So basically that gives you your baseline to match your option. You have to have the year Jalen Hurts had. And again, instead of getting your $51 million up front, now you got to have that 51 plus honor that, you know, contract that now would be at about $13 million because you agreed to this deal. Geno Smith, journeyman, 4,300 yards, 30 touchdowns, 69-8, 100.9, playoffs, Pro Bowl. You know, he would have gotten a lot of those incentives as well. But, you know, he got himself a nice little extension that's worth close to 30 a year. And this is a, a player who has done nothing his entire career. You know, and if you want to go historically, you know, this is one of the players that I brought up, Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett was in uh, nothing. He, he looked like he would be a um, quarterback who would be considered a backup quarterback uh, around the league, you know, maybe a spot starter. And that that's basically what he's been. He had one year with the Colts, uh, 3,100 yards, 13 touchdowns, 59% completion percentage, about an 82 passer. Passer rating is useless, but they, they, they had it in these incentives. He didn't play the following year, you know, because he was behind Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck retires. They signed him to a one-year contract for $28 million. One of the worst contract signings in history. That number was basically pegged to the franchise tag. It was more than what it would have cost them to franchise tag him the next year. Why they did it this way? Who knows? Who knows why they did it that way? But either way, it was a number that was pegged to the tag. More or less. There was no track record of greatness. There was no, oh, he's a top 10 pick. There was none of that. Jimmy Garoppolo, he started five games for San Francisco. 1,600 yards, seven touchdowns. Highest paid player in the NFL when he signed that contract for $28 million a year. Highest paid player, five games, second round pick. They traded for him, so it would have looked bad if they didn't have him under contract the next year. Is that any different leverage that you would have by basically, you know, not being under contract the next year? It's the same situation. Green Bay gave up stuff to get you in the draft. You've been sitting on the bench because you've been behind Aaron Rodgers. All it took was five games for this guy to get that big of a contract. You you think that he need you think Jordan Love needs to take less because he doesn't have two years where he got to put up numbers? And the list is endless. Whether it's your Brock Osweilers of the world, your Case Keenums, your Kevin Cobbs, your uh, you know Matt Schaub early in his career, you know, um, you know when he got that trade over to Houston, um, he probably played maybe for a little while before he got that. I, I might be off on him, you know. But it, there's other guys. It, the, the NFL is filled with Blake Bortles. It is filled with players that have a tiny, tiny sample of being adequate getting big contract extensions. You backed yourself out from it. 
doesn't make any sense. There is no logical way to make any sense of that number that he took unless in the back of his mind he just says, I suck. Like, I'm not going to be good at professional football. Now, maybe that that's a, a reasonable way to look at it. You know, maybe it is. You know, I, I don't know what the, the rate would be if he was a flop this year because I don't know what the opinion would be on him. I can't imagine that he would go down the Paxton Lynch route of just being out of the league. You know, but the, the going rate on the, the players, you know, the Darnolds of the world, the Baker Mayfields who have flopped badly, you know, is like 4 or $5 million with upside for more. So I would guess he'd be in somewhere in that in that ballpark, um, you know, as, as a backup player with some potential. But I, I guess it would depend on how, how poorly um, maybe he did. But, you know, it, it's like, it, it's, it's a total, it, it's a deal that's totally based on flopping. Like the only way that this contract makes any sense for him to take is under the scenario where he is just putrid. Like, so bad that Green Bay can't have him start next year. Like, the the most they could do is say, all right, he's so bad that maybe we could say it's an open competition between him and a rookie, but we've got to draft somebody. Like, that's the only scenario that that makes sense. And I, I would imagine if you looked up the different scenarios, which is being passable, you know, which... Probably would have gotten him to a franchise tag. Um, good, which gets you to a Daniel Jones extension. Better than good, which gets you to a Jalen Hurts extension. Great, maybe that gets you to the Lamar Jackson extension. Um, you know, if you look at those those different scenarios, I, I, I don't think the, the likelihood is there of him being that bad to where it makes more sense to take this number than to just take your chances and play it out and force the Packers' hand into a franchise tag, you know, or the extension. Like it's just odd to me. Like Green Bay has got to be high fiving themselves for doing this deal. You know, they basically are going to get a player um, with some potential at just a much lower cost than he should have been. And it's through no fault of his own that he hasn't had an opportunity to play. So, you know, I, I thought that this is a great deal for them. And I, I, I would just call this one of the, the, the biggest m- mistakes by a player, biggest misses um, that, I, that I can really picture. But yeah, people do get triggered so much by it. <laughs> they, they really do. Um, I can't believe the amount of people that are triggered by it. Where it's just like, I can't believe you're this bad at your job. It's like, what What this bad? I'm just telling you what quarterbacks make. You know? Um, <laughs> oh, we had a fifth-year options this year that got picked up. Uh, it was it was bad. Um, you know, only 12 players got it picked up. Teams are much more nervous now than they were in the past. Um, you know, it shows you the difference to where the injury protection is not a big deal to the team's. You know, you can take out insurance against injury. Um, The kind of stuff that really kicks in the injury protection 
more often than not doesn't happen. Most releases in the NFL are because of skill. So, you know, it's that skill guarantee that you're making on these players that just it, it makes you more nervous about picking them up. Um, you know, Nick did a, a big study on it, uh, just looking at, you know, options by position, um, you know, and the decisions uh, for the players. And, you know, you, you can see how it's changed over time. Uh, in particular, I, I think the... Um, it, since it's been fully guaranteed, how you can see that difference that we have where the players are, you know, not getting that uh, that thing picked up. Um, not surprisingly, tight ends and interior defensive linemen have the highest hit rates in terms of uh, options being exercised. That's because they are two of the positions where um, the salary is relatively low. So it, it's a easier position, I think, to pick up. Uh, quarterback, simply because teams are just a little afraid of giving up on those players. Corner, tackle, um, you know, down the line. Lowest hit rate has been running back. That's also a pretty small sample, only five players, but only 36% have had it picked up. Only 50% of linebackers, 54% of the edge players. Um, I'm a little surprised by that one, but I get that. That's a little boom or bust kind of position. Um, centers and guards are about 57%. Uh, tackles are 63 the offensive line, the, the the benefit is not there in the option value, so it makes a lot more sense to decline it. Um, there's not as even as big of a uh, difference between that number and the franchise tag. So it, it's almost like if there's a position you can punt on and not really have it impact your extension discussions afterwards, it's those tackle positions and, you know, the interior offensive line. If you're one of those players who happens to get... Um, uh, selected in the first round. I know that's a small amount of players. Um, you can check that out. But, you know, I, I thought that the option things are, you know, it's just another tool that when you, you look at these trade-ups and, you know, when everybody goes crazy for this stuff and you talk about, you know, elite players and stars and, um, you know, all these kind of things, when you see these kinds of rates of just picking up an option, and I know people want to say that, like, well, you know, the fact that the player didn't get his option picked up or he doesn't get extended by the team, that doesn't mean he's a bad player. And it doesn't, but it means the rookie contract is a failure. Like, if you're not picking up an option for a player, it means that you didn't gain anything out of those rookie years. Because if you had gained something that was a positive, you'd be picking up that option. You think the option is too expensive uh, or too risky because of the guarantee on it, it means that that draft pick, in a sense, is a failure. At least in terms of being like a higher level um, type of player type of pick. Um, likewise, if you don't extend the player, you know, there, there's different different things that come up and, you know, you can look at those things. And, you know, I, it's just the the... The models that we use and, you know, we build these things. And now I, I built our, our thing that Brad and I did really off of contract values. And you can turn those points back into contract values, which I think makes the R chart actually the most valuable if you use it that way. Because you can easily factor in the, the quality of the position into the discussion. Um, you know, it's like when the, the Bears and the Panthers made that trade on a point value scale, that's a slaughter for the Bears. 
right? Because you get all these picks, plus you're getting the, uh, you know, the, the veteran player in there as well. Um, but if you convert the expected value of the first pick in the draft as a quarterback, you know, you're talking about getting a player who should give you production that's probably along the lines of something like a 42, 43, $44 million a year player. Um, you're not going to get that from all those other picks that you, you gave up, right? You know, you, you're bringing in 40 if you hit on that quarterback. You know, you're bringing in the expected number of like a 42, $43 million player. And on a blank choice uh, for the kind of stuff that you're giving up, you know, you're probably giving up like a, you know, um, I, I wouldn't know per position, but like a, maybe an $18 million pass rusher, um, maybe a $13 million player somewhere else. So you, you start to add those things up and you can kind of come up with a scenario where you're like, oh, you know, it, it's kind of even like it, it's not it's not crazy. All right. Um, you know, and that that's part of the quarterback premium. But you you can build that out to where you can actually evaluate it with numbers. You know, you, you can put a the quantitative approach to it versus just the concept of well, you pay more for a quarterback, it, which is understandable. I mean, it's there, but you, you can actually quantify how much more you can probably justify paying for that quarterback. Um, you know, and you, you should be expected to pay a premium even above that to where it shouldn't be a fair trade because you don't have an, another option to get a player like that. Like any other position in the league, you can th th there is probably a route to getting that player. There's really not a route to getting a, a upper echelon quarterback. There's just not. Um, so, you know, th there's probably a premium you should be paying over that. But, you know, you get into these trades and, you know, you, you look at these option rates and it's like, well, if you're not even getting 50% of the options picked up, like that means it's a pretty low hit rate overall, right? So, you know, I, I look back at some of the work we did and, you know, again, it, it's a sample size over a couple of years and it's stuff we need to expand on further. But I, I think that the numbers would um, still work out relatively, um, you know, in line with what uh, what we had there. But, you know, if you look at like a, a trade like the Texans, OK, the Texans get a, a number, you know, top pick and they get a fourth pick. So a fourth rounder. So, you know, the the odds of that player in the top 10 being an elite level player probably about 45%, you know, give or take a little bit. Um, you know, the odds of the player in the fourth round being that is probably around 2%, I would say, is uh, what that number is. Um, actually, let me let me just look them up. Hold on, let me, let me pull out a copy of the book. All right, so I have it here. So we had an elite level player, tier one player, um, so an elite level player is defined as a player who is, gets a salary of at least 80% of the top player in the league. So right now, if your top quarterback is at 52, uh, it would mean getting a, a salary of about 42 million. So Daniel Jones would just about, you know, qualify as an elite level player, um, based on where the market was when he signed. So give or take a little bit 
it would be a player like that at the quarterback position. Obviously, you're going to say, well, that's a little that's a little wild. So, um, you know, it'd be $24 million for a pass rusher. Uh, that's probably a little bit more along the lines of what you would expect. You know, that, that would probably put like a Max Crosby in there, which he deserves to be. Um, you know, but as a lower pick, he didn't necessarily get that big of a contract. But he'd be right borderline, like 23.5. Um, oh, actually, no, the market there, I'm using the Aaron Donald thing um, in there. I'm using a 30 as a baseline on that. So, yeah, no, he, he would be in there. Um, but it, it would be that level of player, that level of performance. Bradley Chubb would be, you know, borderline tier one, tier two kind of player. So, you know, if you were looking for those elite, elite, elite level players, um, you know, your hit rates on that are 44%. Um, if you're picking in the top 10 and round four would be, uh, actually it's around 4%, around 4% for round four, um, is what those hit rates are on finding a player like that. So, you know, it, it's your odds of finding, um, you know, the elite level player out of those two picks about 47% for finding an elite level player. You know, this is the Houston picks that were um, were were there. Now, Houston gave up in that trade. What, what did Houston give up? So, yeah. Um, I'm just looking these up. Um, see, about 44% uh, picks 1 to 10, about 26% 11 to 32 Second round, 21%. It's higher on the front end of it, but we'll just use that number there. Um, you know, 8% round three. So when you talk about, you know, the, the odds of finding those high-level starters and that being a justification for a trade, you know, again, it's just this overconfidence. So the odds using these kind of numbers of the Texans getting an elite player uh, with those two picks... It's going to be about 47%, 48%. You know, if you want to increase that because it's the number three pick, if you want to increase it because you are super confident, you can increase it. But, I mean, it's not going to go up by more than, you know, a couple of percentage points, I would guess. Um, you know, when you, you factor in the 12th pick, 33rd pick, another first rounder, or third rounder, you know, out of those four picks, you, you have over a 60% chance of getting at least one player who's an elite-level talent. So you've really put all your eggs in one basket and you have a much lesser likelihood of, you know, having the quote unquote guy based on doing that trade. And he, the the other thing is you do lose that chance of getting multiple players. You know, the, the odds of two elite players out of the first, um, the first round pick that they got the third overall and the fourth rounder, a um, little less than 2%, you know, getting two elite players out of those two picks. Uh, you probably have around a 20% chance um, of getting two picks out of, um, at least two picks out of this other grouping. I'd say it's around that. Um, let me see if I can calculate the number real quick. Uh, ballpark would be about 19%. So you got about a 19% chance of getting at least two elite players um, out of that group. Now, you, you can tier them any way you want. You could look at baseline starters, um, you know, you, you could look at bust rates and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that that's not even getting into points. That's not even getting into theoretical stuff. 
Um, it, it's just basic probability of, you know, what we've seen in the past. And it's easily measurable. I mean, if we're taking a player, we're saying you're considered an elite level player if you make 80% of the salary of the top player at the position. Um, that's pretty much a given. We, we've let the market, we've let the NFL determine um, where those players rank, position independent, um, where they rank in the hierarchy. And you can just use a model like that to try to help you make a yes-no decision um, on a player. But you should never, ever go into these things 100% confident. Uh, you know, people brought up a lot the Julio Jones trade. And it's like, absolutely, the Julio Jones deal is, you know, it's a great example where you probably are overconfident in your assessment of him. And it works out great. Now, other trade-ups made by the same organization didn't. I'm sure they were just as overconfident then about the quality of the player. You know, you go a year after that, I think is when the, um, was it the Bills that moved up for Watkins? Is that the, that the trade I'm thinking of? Um, you know, it was very similar to the Jones trade. Obviously, that didn't work out. I'm sure they were just as confident that he was going to be incredibly awesome like Julio Jones was. Now, Julio Jones is a Hall of Fame player. So that that's one of those rare instances that works out. But, you know, when you trade up, you know, the odds of winning that trade, probably like one in four. And we, we, Brad had done all the numbers on that. He, he had looked at all these old trades and, you know, basically worked out. And I'm, I'm too lazy to look that one up. Um... I know that they're in the book. I, I believe that that stuff should all be in the book. But, you know, you, you can look at that and say, okay, when you make those big trade-ups, you're only going to come out ahead like 25% of the time, maybe even less than that. You know, just the, the quantity, the volume of players that are going to be brought in on the other side um, is going to be far greater than what you gain even when you hit on that one player. You know, and the majority of the time, you just lose outright in the quality of the player. Uh, but the teams continue to do it. But the defenses for the teams that trade up, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Like, the, the, the numbers are there. The data is there to tell you it, it's, it's not what you think. And even if you want to look at this draft and go, oh, this was an oddball draft, that there weren't that many options picked up, or... You know, I don't want to look at it as a failure that I didn't extend the player. He might still be a good player. You know, you're talking about a guy like a Roquan Smith, right? Or, you know, Khalil Mack. That's an example of an exceptional player um, who was drafted by a team and didn't get extended by him. So, yeah, you, you can you can look at it that way. But, you know, you, you could just look at this kind of model where we're just using the salary. I don't care where they signed. You know, but it's just that the extension rates are even lower. And the, the reason some of those extension rates are lower is when teams don't do that well, when teams kind of fail, what happens is that you end up starting to trade off players for assets. You know, players who are considered, um, you know, a good player at a certain position, such as Smith at linebacker, that's probably not going to help you long term if he's looking for a $20 million a year contract. So you move on. And... 
I think that's another thing that we get into. You know, I mentioned this um, as well. I think it was uh, Eric that mentioned. I, I think he put up a, a plot of. He might have put up a plot of options as well. And uh, I think he was Eric Eager. Um, I think he was looking at the. Um, was it the options by like maybe the groups, like maybe top ten, um, you know, top twenty, rest of the first round. I, I can't remember exactly, but. Um, it, something along the lines of something with that draft. But I mentioned, you know, the one of the most intriguing parts is always that end of the draft, like that that last third of the draft, because what we found is that a lot of the players drafted in the top of the second round are actually more valuable overall than the players drafted at the top end of the first round and or the back end of the first round. And I think the reason for that is you get a lot of reaching for need uh, or luxury for these teams that are a playoff team and, you know, they look at this like, okay, we're a player away, so, you know, we need position X, let's get it. And then what happens is that team's not a playoff team the next year. And, you know, three years from now, that team is like, man, why why did we draft this linebacker? Why did we draft this running back? Like, you know, and it's like, well, it looked like a luxury pick, but you should never in a draft look at a, a pick as a luxury pick. You know, unless you are one of those rare, rare, rare teams that really does have that one player, that quarterback, who's so special. And even still, you should never look at anything as a luxury pick, but you should never bank on being back in the playoffs. You should never bank on like, well, we're set at all these positions because positions that you're set on today you're not set on a year from now. And you don't even have to look sometimes at the contract status and go, okay, well, you know, this guy's a free agent, this guy's a free agent. You just need to look at the the age curves for some of your players. You know, if you have a player, even if you've just extended him, you know, at a majority of these positions, um, you know, for example, uh, someone who's in their fifth or sixth year in the league, you're probably going to see a decline in that player the following year. Like they, You're going to need a replacement for that player soon, and it takes a draft pick at most positions a, a year um, you know, to get acclimated to the NFL and kind of you know, reach that potential that they have. That's what you need to be drafting for. Um, not for you know, what might be your immediate need today. You know, you need to look at your roster and say, okay, well, how long is this guy going to really be effective for? Um, you know, if you have a receiver, if your top receiver is 28 years old, for example, um, you might want to think of him needing a replacement, you know, a year from now, you know, two years from now. The, the teams that I, I think um, can really do well I think are the teams that kind of pre-plan for this stuff and they're able to trade away their veterans before that decline becomes obvious. And by trading those players away, you can bring in those first and second round picks. And at the same time, you have a player that you've developed in your system that you're hoping you can just kind of slot in there. And so you won't get that, uh, you know, that big drop off in quality. Now, Minnesota got lucky. Justin Jefferson was so good right as a rookie. You know, you, you never really worried about having lost Stefan Diggs. 
Um, you know, but that would be the kind of strategy, and that that's one that benefited both sides because Diggs is one of those guys that's gone beyond the age curve um, and been incredibly effective for, you know, a whole second career. But the majority of players don't do that. You know, but that that's a perfect example, and I know they traded him for other reasons there. It seemed like that uh, they just seemed to have some issues with him. But that that's kind of an example, I, I think, of the way to handle it. You know, the the, the Chiefs, with um, trading Tyree Kill, it's like, well, you know, you, you realize there's probably a decline coming and you're not going to extend out into the future, so you just kind of move on. Now, that their players that they had drafted, their Hardmans and, um, you know, some of their other players that they had didn't really work out that well, obviously. Um, you know, but they, they, you know, at least had some uh, some ideas, I, I guess, as to what they could do. And obviously they won the Super Bowl, so, you know, who cares? Um you know, but I think those are the teams that, that have an ability to maybe exploit an edge in the future. Um, and it's one of those where you you got to have a stomach for it. You know, but the worst thing that you can do is probably like what the Titans did, which is you don't really have a replacement in place. You trade away your guy and you go out and you try to trade for a cheaper guy that you can feel is a quote unquote replacement of sorts and draft a player to replace him. It's very hard to fill those shoes because you're going to get compared to the player that got traded away. And as a rookie, unless you're talking about like a running back or something like that, they're probably not going to excel um, in the majority of cases as a rookie to get you to forget that player. You know, again, you get Minnesota and you uh, you, know, you talk about that one, but that, that's the exception. You know, the majority you know, take a little bit of time to develop. And that, that's the thing that drives you nuts when people talk about these trades. And you'll say, yeah, you know, th- these trade-ups just don't work. And they'll, they'll be like, oh, well, wait a minute. What about this player? What do you mean he, he can't contribute as a rookie? Justin Jefferson contributed as a rookie. It's like you, you guys are finding the, the biggest outliers possible. You know, it's like it, they'll, you'll say, well, yeah, it's asinine to draft a tight end in the top 10. And, you know, someone will throw back at you. Travis Kelsey. And it's like, okay, so you're throwing back at me arguably the greatest receiving tight end in the history of the NFL. And a guy who was a third-round pick. It's like, what are we doing here? Is Travis Kelsey the norm? You know, I'll agree with you, it's possible but is it probable? No. And, you know, th- there's times where, yeah, maybe you do have to take those swings. But you're not taking them for a tight end. You've only got to take those swings for a couple of positions. Um, you know, but, th- but th- again, you know, you just go back to it. You know, th- there's ways to do it. And I, I just don't understand how people are just so negative on just just basic numbers on something you know it, and it's like the the stuff you get the stuff you get on twitter it, it's funny it's like the, the i i love the stick to numbers nerd kind of lines that you get stick to the numbers it's like this is numbers <laughs> i am sticking to the numbers i'm giving you the numbers how do you quantify that for me okay I'll I'll quantify for it. Well, you don't, you don't know what my GM knows. No, I probably don't. 
I I couldn't do what they do. You know, if you're if you're general manager that has a background in scouting, I could not go and watch a bunch of college players and go, oh yeah, that that's a first round talent. I would have no idea. None. Zero. Zilch. Nada. But I can tell you that at the same time, the people who are the, the, the best evaluators and put these players in the first round are going to be wrong 50%, 60%, 70% of the time. You know, if, if they're talking about them being an elite level player. We're talking to level below that, you know, it, it's a, a little bit less. You know, they're going to be wrong 60, uh, 40% of the time maybe. But I, I can just say that because th- there's nothing that distinguishes necessarily one team from another. These guys are all good at the job they do. Maybe some are a little bit better than others, but none are going to be perfect. Like Eagles fans, they got all triggered this week. Uh, I was having a discussion, uh, um, something about the draft. Mitchell Schwartz had a couple things. And, um, you know, one of that was, I think what he mentioned is, you know, does anybody criticize the Eagles at all for, you know, taking a chance and trading up on a player who, you know, maybe is a questionable character, whatever it was. I made the comment, look, the Eagles are in that territory right now where they just get no criticism. And it's like the Eagles world descended on me. Like, you've obviously never listened to Philadelphia sports. I had grown up in that area in the summer listening to nothing but people trashing the Eagles. There's a difference when we're talking about local people in the middle of a season being critical of the Eagles and everyone else just talking about the, the genius that's in the front office right now. No team is perfect, um, but the the point was just that the Eagles are not the team right now that are going to get criticism for moves that they make, but everybody gets triggered about it. It's like, man, just calm down a little bit, <laughs> you know, just making a comment, you know, that that's, and I think that's pretty factual. Everything the Eagles do, you know, the Eagles traded away, what, like a seventh round pick a couple of years from now for DeAndre Swift from the Lions. And you just see reporter after reporter. How does Howie do it? How does he do it? He found a player that obviously 31 of the team said, we don't want. Or he was just, saw that the Lions needed to get rid of a player and was willing to pick up the phone when no other team was willing to do it. But it's not like it's a magical contract. It's not like it's a magical trade. You know, the market is what the market is. But that was the point of it. It wasn't a criticism of the Eagles. It wasn't a criticism of the work they do with the process. It's just that right now, I don't think that there are many people, at least on a national level, um, that cover the sport and discuss the, the things that the teams do right now that is probably going to take a, a very constructive look at anything that the Eagles do at the moment. Just simply because they've been so good. So you just kind of take everything and you go, oh, well, yeah, you know, of course, it's the Eagles. It's fine when they did that. Um, you know, whereas a couple of years ago, when you, you looked at the downfall of Carson Wentz and Alshon Jeffrey and all those guys, you probably were questioning... Maybe Howie doesn't have it anymore, <laughs> you know. So, I mean that that that's the way things go. That that's the league. 
but you know people just get triggered with that kind of stuff but the uh you know the uh yeah the the, the draft stuff it just kind of drives me nuts um you know when we get into those things all right let me see if we got some podcast questions here via email all right let's see here Okay, Bo, this might have been from last week, and I don't think I got to it. No, I think I did do this one. No, I did, I did this one. Okay, Daniel had a question. This is the, this is the stuff from last week that I didn't get to. Uh, it came in early in the morning. By the time I got it, I was done with the podcast. All right. Um, thanks for taking questions. Can you compare, contrast, and judge the short-term and long-term team building of the teams in the AFC East? So right now, I mean, the AFC East is basically teams that are all in, uh, with the exception of the Patriots. Patriots, to me, have no plan right now whatsoever. But the Dolphins are all in on this team. Uh, the Jets are clearly all in on this team for this season. The Bills, despite what they're saying about, well, I don't want to be in a disaster spot in the future, they have not really treated it like that. Um, you know, and the Patriots, you know, th there's no vision there right now. What the, the, the one difference is that the Patriots are the team in that division that is going to have a ton of salary cap room next year if they need to go in and have one of these free agent spending sprees again. So if they want to do what they did a couple of years ago, which obviously didn't work out for them, but if they want to go and do that or they have the money to to attract somebody in a trade that they want to bring in, they have the ability to do that. The Jets, the Bills, the Dolphins, these are all teams that are going to be over the cap next year. These are all teams that are um, going to have to do some scrambling and make some cap room, make some tough decisions. So it, it's really you've got three teams that are very focused on the short term the Patriots, who just, I don't find them focused on much of anything, but they are going to have a bunch of cap room next year that they can utilize to try to uh, revamp the team. And, you know, I, I guess a lot of it has to do with the development of their quarterback. Um, you know, if they still believe in him and what he can do, you know, may, maybe there's something there. Um, so, I mean, of the, of the four teams, I mean, that's probably the team that is best suited for the future in terms of kind of coming out of nowhere. But otherwise, I mean, it, it, you just pencil in Josh Allen because that's the that's the best quarterback, um, you know, for the long haul. So, I mean, you, you can pencil that in. But as a team, you know, they, they, they've pushed too much at this point and they're probably on a, uh, on a bad spot there. Uh, Timmy, uh, this is also a question from last week. Uh, what do you think the Colts draft says about how competitive they want to be in the next year? Richardson likely won't be elite as a rookie. And if they stink, can they get some better draft picks, give them more weapons, uh, while also buying themselves the time to get off the Leonard and Smith contracts? So Pierce and Chris Ballard heavily prioritized positional value in this draft. Do you think this was deliberate change in the past where he's been highly successful at drafting low value, like running back, off-ball linebacker, interior offensive line? Um, this draft felt a lot like it was a owner-driven draft. Um, now, I know a lot of people were making comments about the video where you, you kind of saw the Colts um, very 
workmanlike atmosphere to to Pinkin Richardson. Like there was not a lot of excitement. You know, it was just everybody stands up and claps. You saw Ballard was like nervous when there was the trade up. Um, you know, ahead of him. Um, you know, and he didn't know until he finds out that it's Houston, but. I don't even know if I took that as like he was nervous that somebody was taking the quarterback that he wanted versus somebody's going to take the quarterback and my owner's going to be incensed that I didn't make the bad trade to move up to get this quarterback that he wants. Um, Now, I think the other extreme that was being shown as a comparison is the Lions. And, you know, the Lions, it's like... It's just not fair comparing the two. I mean, the Lions is like the the uh, what you would picture as the real the the ultra testosterone room. Like, it, what was it two years ago when they drafted the tackle? And I mean, you got guys hugging each other, high fiving. You know, you would think they just won the Super Bowl with the excitement that was going on there drafting the tackle. So I mean, that's just how they react um, to the picks. So you know, I I don't take that. To it, but I, I don't know. Something something seemed like this was wasn't the kind of stuff that I would expect from them um, with the way they did it. But uh, I do think that there is a, a, a point that could be made to saying that you know they're gonna accept maybe not being great this year, uh, getting another high pick next year, and you know rebuilding some of those key areas around him. Um, you know, the, the Colts are a team, you know, Ballard's had that job for a couple of years now. And I always say he's a he's a hard guy to judge because the Colts don't spend money. And I can't say that that's on him. You know, when you have teams that don't spend money and you don't spend money year after year after year, that's an ownership thing. So... I can't say that, that that it is Ballard that's not spending money. You know, he, he signed a couple of guys to big contracts. Um, you know, Leonard, he made the trade for Buckner. I, 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 I still never cared for that Buckner trade that much. I, I thought that was the wrong move. But, um, you know, they, they've signed some big deals. But it's never been at the point where you even get something to where, you know, it's a year where you sign a big deal and... You're like, okay, that means you're going to have a bunch of money that's going to be spent that year. It's like they've never done that. Like the Texans for years didn't spend any money. But the year they extended to Sean Watson and they had to do some stuff, their budget skyrocketed that year. You know, because they they had a bunch of players they had to retain. So, you know, even though they were a cheaper team, the budget jumped with it. You'd never see that with the Colts. So I, I I don't know. It's like it's just a tough team to judge, and I, I think for some reason, I, somehow it just gets lost in the shuffle that uh, you know they, they don't seem to have the resources that other teams have. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can never tell if it's uh, you know for for them or something else. Uh, Cameron. Uh, is there data out there that illustrates what thresholds each pick of the draft needs to hit in order to be worth the selection? Uh, for, for instance, the expectation of the fourth overall pick will be significantly higher than the 144th. 
Imagine threshold for each pick varies by position, which might help explain why you shouldn't go running back in the top 10, uh, whereas a wide receiver pick in the top 10 might have more obtainable benchmarks. So if you just want to look at making it worth the investment in the contract, you can use the kind of charts that we have, you know, convert, you just use the trade calculator we have, and it'll calculate a, a given APY for a position. Um, you know, and you can do that. Obviously, that's not a table that doesn't make it that easy. Maybe this is something we can build in the future if I ever remember to do it. Uh, I have a post on this. Um, let me see if I can dig it up. Okay, so if you do a search uh, in the article section, draft salary rankings and free agent availability, uh, we have here estimated annual values for the, the picks. These ended up on the high end. The, the numbers are a little bit lower. Um, they didn't increase the rookie pool. So I, I still don't know why. I got to look closer at that and see. But I only did it for the top 32 picks. Um, so for example, to justify the salary, you know, if you were picking number 10 and you picked a quarterback, he would only have to rank 28th among quarterbacks to justify his salary. If you chose a running back at that position, he would have to be a top 15 player to justify that salary. If you took a center, he'd have to be a top 13 player, a right tackle, top 18. But a corner would only have to rank 36th at the position. And if you go down on the second chart, it'll tell you how many players he has to be better than, how many starters. So that means a quarterback only has to be better than 12.5% of starters in the league, whereas a running back has to be better than 53% of the starters at his position. Um, you know, a wide receiver only has to be better than 55%, um, you know, the players at that, at that position. So, you know, you, you, you can go down the list, left tackle, I'm sorry, it's 31% of the players that they'd have to be. That actually seems high for wide receiver. I'm surprised at that. Um, I think my number might be off on that one. Uh, I'll have to relook at that chart. Um, you know, but it, it's just there to give you an idea, um, you know, for where these players have to rank, um, you know, among all players in the league as to, uh, what you can do, but you, you can do that for the entire draft, um, you know, but, but maybe that's a that's a chart that I'll just build. Um, maybe do something each year where we can uh, just put something up there. But there are definitely some different ways that you can look at those things. I'll have to think about that a little bit and see if there's a way we can make something a little interactive along those lines. Kevin, um, want to follow up again? What did you think about the Dexter Lawrence deal for the Giants? Is there anything specific to make it seem favorable? Um, I just thought, you know, now I haven't seen any details on it. And if something's out there, I just haven't seen it. Um, I, I think, uh, for me, it was just that the annual value did not continue to grow at the position. Um, you know, to me, he should have been the next guy up. He should have moved that market forward and he did not. It was a, it was a backstep for the market. Um, now his is a four year deal. I think the others are fives. Let me look that up real quick. No, the others are four-year deals as well. So, you know, it, it's like, so for years we've had these guys at 21 and you got Payne to 22-5, you got Simmons to 23-5, you know, where you talk about the next man up, like I was talking about the quarterbacks, 
24-5 should have been the number for Lawrence. And there's no reason, you know, for him really not to be there. I mean, he's a uh, he's a terrific player. Um, he may have been overshadowed a little bit by Williams last year who plays in the same city. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy who had seven and a half sacks, 16 starts, um, pro bowler, I believe. I think he was a second-team all-pro. Um, you know, for the Giants, he plays 80% of the snaps. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I don't really get why he didn't um, kind of push the market. I mean, you've got Payne, who was selected 13th overall. You know, he had the bigger sack totals. Um, you know, he had the Pro Bowl last year, similar you know, kind of make up, you know, is a, plays a lot on the field. Um, Simmons, let's look up his numbers and see here. Let me look up Simmons. You know, again, late first round pick, second team all pro, pro bowl. Now he's had it two times, eight and a half sacks, seven and a half sacks. He's probably an 80% player. You know, been a little bit more consistent. Um, you know, then Lawrence. Lawrence is a little bit more of a. I wouldn't call him a one-year wonder, uh, one-hit wonder. You know, obviously because he he was good the year before. It's just that his uh, pass rush numbers, his sack totals, really just changed a little bit this year. Um, you know, but for the most part, teams base things on what you did this prior year. So I don't know. I I, I thought that you should have gone twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four. Next guy, 25, uh, because I, I think they're just all close. And for him to take that step back under Simmons, I, I think that that's probably a negative for Quinn and Williams. Um, but that's a negative for the market overall. So I, I thought that was good. Now, there might be some other things with this deal once you get the numbers and you go, oh, my God, what were the Giants thinking? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, as it stands, just based on those baseline numbers that came out, um you know, it was to me a uh, a deal that seemed to skew more in the favor of the Giants. That um, you know th he probably could have held out for longer and gotten a better deal, and opted not to. All right, let's go to Twitter. See what we got here. There's a beautiful picture of my Stone IPA from last night. All right, <laughs> let's uh, let's go and check these out here. Justin, I'm sure you're talking about the Lamar contract, but how does it compare to the offer from September, which was reported 133, 175, 200 total guaranteed? Um, so I, you know, I don't know the full details of that deal. So it would depend on that full guarantee, on that total guarantee, which would be that rolling guarantee. It didn't seem, at least based on what uh, PFT mentioned in their breakdown, I'm just going by that. It didn't seem like that additional total guarantee was there. Um, unless I misread it or uh, there was something there that I was not seeing. Um, you know, it uh, the guarantee went up by $2 million on the full, $10 million on the injury. Really, again, all that does is it just mimics the type of increase that existed from the Jalen Hurts deal. So it doesn't seem like it was much different other than just the market changing. Um so it doesn't seem like there's a big change there. 
if there was a 200 total guarantee, all right, and I didn't really get too much into the, the different offers that were exchanged and the stuff that was kind of leaked out of, of possibilities of what those offers were. If there was 200 total guaranteed, my, my assumption then would be that they were working on the basis in a sense of a new money guarantee. And it was like, well, we're rolling your, in your 133, 175, we're rolling in there your existing salary, which last year was, um, what was it, 23 million, 28 million. Um, let me look him up, Lamar Jackson. What, was his, what would his old money have been? And, you know, one of the things that drives me crazy, and these are people that should not do this. Like, Andrew Brandt does this. I like Andrew a lot. Um, I, I don't know why he does this. Joe Banner does it sometimes as well. Florio does it all the Yeah, salary last year was 23. You know, they'll do cash flows, and you throw free agents in there, and it's like, you know, Lamar got 80 this year, and the next closest quarterback, his first-year salary is like 60 or 50 million. It's like, it, it's just not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. It, it's just, it's not. Because it, you're talking about a guy who's a free agent. It's like, you know, okay. So if Lamar, if we, we, we take this back to where these other guys were, are we going to take Lamar Jackson's year one money then is just 23 million? Because... That's what you give up by not doing the extension, right? But anyway, my, my guess is in that full guarantee, total guarantee, is the 200 would represent the 175 plus his 23 million. So that means that they, they had another 23 or another 25 million in, say, 2026 that was not going to be guaranteed at signing that would be guaranteed in 2025. And because he earned his salary from last year, they just pushed those guarantees and they got rid of the rolling structure and they just kept it at 185 total. Um, so I, I would guess that's probably what happened, but I didn't really read over those offer sheets, um, you know, that whatever leaked out about it to really compare one way or the other. But um, total money wise, I mean, it sounds like it was just a market change and that was about it. Brian, is there still a point to the Tannehill Titans marriage? Betting on another quarterback getting injured after May, uh, Mans feels like an unworthy gamble. Um, no, there's no point to it. I mean, they, they they should have looked at this. You know, the Titans last year, and it didn't look this way at the beginning of the season. You know, I was getting a lot of people saying, you know, you know, boo on you for saying that the Titans were a team that needed to uh, start to rebuild. You know, they were the best team in the AFC the year before. You know, whatever, whatever nonsense came out from that. Um, you know, that there is nothing there for them. But, I mean, the only risk they're running right now um, is the threat that he somehow gets injured. Uh, you know, which would lock his $27 million salary in. So, you know, I, I would think if um, I'm Tennessee... You know, maybe what I'm doing is I'm watching a couple of these teams, like a Washington. Maybe I'm watching a team like uh, Atlanta. Um, seeing if there's something I can get, even if I pick up some of his salary. You know, is there something that I can get before we really get into training camp? Obviously, the offseason program, you can get hurt. But training camp is where more injuries would take place. Is there something that we could do early in training camp Um you know, to kind of fix this issue. And if not, 
uh, you know, do we look at this as a Garoppolo scenario? And do we threaten him and say, hey, look, we're going to release you. There's not that kind of money out there in free agency. We try to trade you. Nobody wants you. So you're not going to get that kind of money in free agency. Would you stick around here for $10 bucks this year? You know, or would you rather become a free agent on August 15th? Um, you know, that's an option that the Titans can do. Um, you know, and that might make him more attractive if they were to trade him. Now, he might end up with a no-trade clause at that point. But, um, you know, you could do that, uh, you know, or just kind of be like, all right, you know, just you're going to take mental reps. We don't want you getting hurt, and we're going to try to trade you through the summer and see what happens. Um, as long as he doesn't get hurt, you know, they, they still have that option to release him. So I, I think what you're doing is you're just going to try to protect him as best you can and, you know, figure out where you kind of go from here. Um, you know, but the quarterback trade in season, I think is a lot less likely. So really, I think it's really working the phones hard in June, July, early August, um, you know, seeing if you can move him. And then if you can't, probably just go to that pay cut or cut kind of theory, um, you know, and see what you can do. Derek, uh, why do you think Arizona and Tennessee decided to hire externally for their candidates when they had capable GMs in-house? Um, you just need changes. Uh, you know, organizations need to make changes. You, you don't want sometimes the same line of thinking, even if the person is a, a completely qualified candidate for the job. Um, sometimes you're just looking for a new voice, a new, a completely new change in direction. Um, it's a better sell, you know, to everybody. Um, if you're going to do that big kind of change, I think for Arizona specifically, I think that was absolutely necessary um, for them to do. But I, I think that uh, that's really a, a big reason why is you don't want to just make this look like it's an extension of the old front office by, you know, promoting an assistant general manager or director of college scouting or whatever it is, um, you know, or your director of football administration you know, to that top position if you're trying to send a signal that, um, you know, there's a change needed. Uh, inflation effects on cap projections. I don't think there would be, unless ticket prices got raised significantly and uh, or the TV deals somehow are going to fluctuate based on inflation, um, that shouldn't change anything. Evans, which team has put all their chips in this season for the most cap-wise, sacrificing the future for the most... Uh, the Saints. Yeah, it would be the Saints and the Eagles would be the two. Um, you're looking at those teams that prorated the most amount of money this year, and um, those are probably the two teams that stand out in that regard. Uh, New York Giants fan. And Charlotte? Uh, not even sure. Um, all right, let's see what the question is here. Where, uh, let's see, what is this? Uh, why do rapidly, what do rapidly rising interest rates in an uncertain economy do to front office decision-making with regard to contract extensions, free agent signings, and other matters? Uh, I don't think anything. You know, the, the NFL is, um, their contracts are all in place. So, I mean, if you're something where your contracts are in place, um, 
you're really not going to make too many changes, um, you know, because your revenues coming in are going to be pretty constant. Now, um, might there be less that you're getting on certain investments, depending on what you invest in? It's a possibility. I don't think it'll change that much with what teams do. Um, you know, people are going to buy tickets to come to the games. I don't think that's going to change. Uh, so I don't think it really has that big of a role. Uh, Titans therapy. If the Titans were to give Derrick Henry an extension, what would that look like given their current cap, future cap limitations? That would just look like an idiotic move. <laughs> um, there's no reason for them to give Derrick Henry any kind of extension. I don't understand why they gave him a raise last year to make him happy. It made no sense whatsoever. Um, and it would make even less sense to extend him. They need to trade him, not extend him. People's champ. Um, any parallels to what the Panthers did with Shaq Thompson's contract and the situation Jets find themselves in with C.J. Mosley? The contract seems untenable and just want to understand how they, they got here and if there's anything that could be done. So, I, I don't think so. So, Thompson was in the last year of his contract and Thompson had tailed off significantly. Mosley is still a okay player. I think what you, you're seeing with him is the fact that it's very hard to be a great linebacker in today's NFL. Um, you know, to where you, you can look at someone and be like, yeah, that, that guy really makes a difference. Um, so for someone like a Mosley, they probably look grossly overpaid simply because even if they're a above average player for the position, they're not making that kind of impact on the game to make you change things. Um, but, you know, he is one of the leaders on that defense. And so I, I think that the Jets are going to have a tougher time there and they, they've slow played it for whatever reason. I don't know what that reason is. Um, you know, I've said for a while that he should be someone that's treated more along the lines of like, you know, Bobby Wagner type player, um, you know, where you're looking at like a $10 million a year deal where, you know, you're saying, look, we'll give you 20 million guaranteed. You were going to make, does he make 17 this year? You know, he'll make more guaranteed over the next two years than he would make this year. Um, you know, but you would bring his salary over these next two years way down. But I, I don't really know what the hang-up is. I, the, the Jets were kind of in limbo with this whole Aaron Rodgers thing. So I, I, I'm going to assume that we see some stuff pick up now. Um, you know, and then, you know, kind of go from there. Uh, okay, Captain Buccaneer. If uh, St. Brown is another season on par with his first two, what type of an extension is he in line for? You know, he'll, he'll be right there with those top receivers, you know, 25, 26 a year. Any idea on the structure of Dexter Lawrence's deal and the cap implications from Johnny Five? Nope, I have nothing on that one. Connor, if Calvin Ridley has his 2020 season stats, 15 games, 90, 13, 74... What would an extension look like? That's a good question. Um, how old is Calvin Johnson now? You know, Calvin Johnson is far removed from, you know, being notable as a receiver. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, a <laughs> I'm saying Calvin Johnson. Uh, Calvin Ridley. Obviously, Calvin Johnson hasn't played many years. Um, 
Calvin Ripley. So, all right, he'll be 29. Yeah, I, he's not going to have the market that he would have had before. Um, you know, he's going to be 29 this year. Uh, I don't know what point does he turn 29 late in the year. So he'll be 29 late in the year. So he'll be going into free agency at the age of 29, turning 30 um, at the end of his first free agent season. So, you know, I, I see that as a major negative for him uh, going into free agency, even if he's able to to kind of recreate that. Um, I I think that immediately drops him down, even with those kind of numbers. Um, I think I I think that drops him down in the sub fifteen million dollar a year category, um, even even off a big season. I, I that's you know may, maybe my opinion will change on that based on how he does, but um, I think the age thing is going to work against him. Jack, what does the cap situation look like with Kyler if they trade him after the season? Uh, I think Kyler Murray has 46 dead. Let's see. So if they did a pre-June 1 trade, Kyler Murray. 46.2 million dead next year. Uh, that'd be a savings of 5.6 on the cap. Obviously, they'd save themselves a lot of uh, future guarantees and cap hits and other stuff. So... I would look at that and say definitely feasible. Um, depends on how he plays this year for the return, but I, I would say at a minimum you're looking at two first-round picks. Um, you know, what you would get for him, and you know may, maybe some of it would be incentivized to get more or less. But, you know, the, the return on a, a viable quarterback um, is generally pretty good. So... I think that could be a very reasonable um, situation uh, for Arizona next year. A uh, reasonable option for them to uh, consider trading him, depending on how things go. Uh, which 2022 non-playoff team would you want to most take over today as a GM and a cap czar? Well, I mean, that would have been the Bears. Um you know, just based on where they were with the cap, just basically having free reign to do whatever you wanted, as well as having those draft picks. Uh, if you take draft picks out of it, um, probably still would have been the Bears. Um, you know, if we're talking about non-playoff teams, who else? I think the Falcons would have been interesting. I would have taken that in a completely different direction than they did. Um, you know, that would be an interesting one. But I think it would have been the Bears. The Bears just had so many resources. I think that would be really cool to uh, to do. Uh, trying to find this answer for about a month. Uh, let's see if I can help you. Can you tell me, please, what would have been the exclusive franchise tag number for quarterbacks this year at the deadline with all the restructures? Um, I don't think it would have been much higher than the non-exclusive tag. No. So, okay. So the rule on this is that the non-exclusive tag locks in, uh, I'm sorry, the exclusive tag locks in when the team makes the designation. So whatever the number is on the date that they lock it in, it can go up from that figure, but it can't go down. 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, I shouldn't say that. It can go down, I, I think, based on releases. It cannot go down based on restructures. So, you know, if, if we look at, now I'm not going to look at the um, overall stuff here. But, you know, your top five right now would be Mahomes at 39, and he was restructured. Tannehill was 36. Goff, Prescott, Garoppolo. So his number still would have been right around that 45-2. I don't remember if Matt Ryan was in the top five. Um, I don't think he was. It depends on how they treat. I wasn't sure how they would treat his old signing bonus money that existed with the Falcons. I don't think that would have counted. Um, yeah, he was at a 35 number. So no, he, he, I don't think he was in it. So it still would have been that 45 number. If it would have dropped, it would have dropped very low uh, from that, like 42, 43. But it, it, the cap numbers, uh, I'm sorry, the, the tag number doesn't really go lower um, because of people manipulating stuff. So, you know, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson... Those guys were all going to be locked in when that tag was made. So that was one of the big reasons why Baltimore never used that exclusive tag. The number was always going to be high. There, there was no chance for it to drop much lower. Michael, how can Cincinnati tackle their Burrow-Chase-Higgins situation? Does a super long Burrow contract make sense? And is one even likely? I don't know if it's likely, but I'm sure that's what Cincinnati wants. I think Cincinnati wants from Burrow the commitment that Kansas City has from Mahomes. I don't know if they will get it. I don't think they would get it. Um, but I do believe it makes sense. And I just don't know if he would do it. As for the receivers, I think you choose one receiver. I, I don't think that you, you want to go into it with um, $60 million or $55 million per year invested in your receivers. So, you know, I think that's a situation where you probably trade one, extend one. Um, you know, you'll get a good return for one of the players. So, you know, I think that's probably the direction Cincinnati should go. Colin, how much flexibility do teams have when determining rookie contract signing bonuses? Pretty much none. Um, you know, I mean, the only flexibility that's in there is your cap hit is basically set. So that sets for you your, your base salary and your uh, signing bonus. The only thing that you could do is instead of a signing bonus, um, you could basically give roster bonuses every year. That would be the equivalent of the signing bonus proration. Um, no player is going to agree to that because, you know, if my signing bonus is going to be $25 million, why in the world am I going to take, you know, $6 million a year in roster bonuses instead of taking my $25 million over the course of the next 12 months or 18 months. But if the player is a questionable player, um, you know, off-field issues, some stuff like that, there are reasons you could you could maybe do something like that. Um, you know, years ago, that was something Jacksonville did with Justin Blackman. Um, you know, and that's the only kind of scenario where I would see that. Um, otherwise, there's really no flexibility at all. I mean, you could go lower, uh, but no no team has really ever done that since the first draft. No players accepted it. And it, it's not like there's ever any fight, it seems like, on the concept of 
give us a no franchise tag provision and you know we'll take a lower contract it, it that doesn't ever seem to happen so um even though there is that wiggle room nobody has um taken that at all let's see Another question from Brian. Is there a way to compare the value of cap space from years ago to now? Would you do it as a percentage of that year's cap to percentage of it now or with another method? Um, I think that's how I would do it. Uh, you know, I, I would look at it as the percentage of the cap space at the time. Um, I mean, the other thing that you could do is you could kind of say, what was it, you know, pegged to the average cap space among all the other teams? But I, I would probably just peg it to the cap at the time. The exceptions would be the uncapped year, um, which was 2010, and the COVID year where the cap dropped all the way down to 182.5 just because it was kind of a bogus number. Um, you know, you, you just had more and more teams pushing money out that normally wouldn't do that um, because the contracts weren't really affected um, by it. Chala, uh, do you think quarterback contracts will continue to outpace cap growth? And if so, will the NFL do anything about it? Uh, NFL won't do anything about it. And they, yeah, they'll, they'll continue to outpace cap growth. I mean, most of your, your top paid positions um, outpace the growth of the cap. So I, I, I'm pretty positive that that kind of stuff is going to continue. I think the difference is with the quarterback, unlike the other positions where the, the top players do continue to earn more and more and push the market, I think the difference is that with the quarterbacks, you see um, a lot of quarterbacks get these big contracts that you kind of scratch your head over. You know, when Daniel Jones gets the 40-whatever million a year, you're like, Daniel Jones, really? You know, and... Um, I don't think you get that with the other positions. You know, the other positions are um, a little bit stronger in the way they determine, you know, who's the top paid and who is, you know, in that top five. Um, but uh, hopefully this summer I, I can do a couple more series on that, um, you know, with the with some of the stuff, with some of the analysis stuff that... Usually I do on the consulting end, um, you know, but maybe just kind of put that, you know, just some papers uh, in the premium section just to, uh, you know, look at some different growth trends for, um, you know, positions. <laughs> Billy Bitcoin, if you become king at 74, does it really matter? You know, that's a good question. Uh <laughs> I didn't understand all this stuff that was going on on the TV this morning. You know, I, I go downstairs, um, yeah, woke up, went downstairs, and my wife has got the TV on. And it's like nothing but the king of England. It's like, why do I care about the coronation of the king of England? Like, what what do I care about any of this? But then that was my other question that I did ask her at one point. I said, how old is he? Like, you know aren't we going to have to do this again in like a couple of years? Like he looks pretty old. Um, you know, so no, I, I don't, I don't see this as uh, anything, you know, anything that matters, but uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe, um, you know, just the, the watching all this stuff, but she's done that before too, with the, the Royal weddings and that stuff. Like, I don't get it. I don't get the fascination with it. I know there's the, I guess the tradition of it, but 
I just don't get it. But then again, I'm sure she doesn't get when I I just plop myself down with the Red Zone channel and the Jets on and, uh, you know, just uh, watching sports on Sunday. So it's each their own, right? Uh, Jay, uh, Cardinals are a mess. Is there hope? Yes, there's always hope. Um, I thought they had a great draft. You know, they, they manipulated the draft to their advantage as best as possible with their trades. So they're a team that's just... You know, forget this year. They're they're setting themselves up for the future with or without Kyler Murray. Um, you know, they're they're setting themselves up to be able to rebuild their team in a completely different image. Um, you know, next year. But yeah, for this year, you're you're probably throwing the year away. Um, probably, you know, it's the NFL, so you never know. You know, Bills years ago looked like they were throwing it away, and they made a wild card. Um, Giants last year probably looked like they were throwing it away. Um, you know, there was a wild card. So, um, you know, there, there's always a possibility. But I, I think they're set up okay for 2024. Robert, give the people what they want. Where is the Nelly the Bunny Instagram page? Uh, that's probably right up there with the uh, Over the Cap Instagram page. So, um, yeah, I don't anticipate Nelly having one. Uh, we do have one only because my daughter made an Over the Cap Instagram page, which was really her page. Uh, which I only found out about when I started getting emails saying people were following me on Instagram. So I think at some point I did throw a couple of OTC photos on there, but uh, I don't really use Instagram for anything. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if uh, I'll even ever update that page. Um, my daughter doesn't use it anymore. She, you know, figured out how to get her own Instagram page. Um, but yeah, I don't anticipate Nelly getting one, but if we do, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll throw it on there, uh, you know, on Twitter or on the OTC Instagram page that uh, I barely even knew we had to um, update people on the Nelly status. Dave, when Devonta Smith is extension eligible after this uh, income, uh, upcoming season, what would you project those numbers to look like, assuming um, continued contract, uh, career trajectory? Man, I'm having a tough time tonight. Uh, equal or above A.J. Brown's extension. Also, do you agree that Howie will do the deal after year three? Um, I would think after year three, but let's, let's wait and see, um, you know, how this season plays out before we jump ahead. But knowing the Eagles, my assumption would be they would go above Brown, maybe not far above, but, you know, Brown at that point is probably going to be entering the phase where, they're considering moving on from Brown. So I, I think they would go over him. I would not be surprised. Hey, Jefferson is going to be signed. He, he might set a market too high. I wouldn't be surprised if Jefferson, for some reason, didn't have a deal done. Um, I wouldn't be stunned if the Eagles said, we'll make him the highest paid player knowing he'll get surpassed. Uh, but I do think he'll get more than he, um, Brown will. Once Justin Jefferson gets a new deal, will he stop the market for a time or will Chase and another wide receiver top his pay? That's from Shoes, 54. Um, my assumption is he stops the market, but that's also based on the fact that I think he's going to get a legitimate $30 million a year contract. If he does not, then he will not block the market. Like if he is a legit 25 a year, he won't block the market. Someone else will surpass him. 
Your thoughts on the Chargers already pushing contracts of older players, even without the Herbert New Deal? Uh, I, I didn't really get what the Chargers did this year with those. Though Keenan Allen and Khalil Mack are two players that should have been gone, at least one of them. And to double down on both of them, like that's just, I didn't get that. What are the most probable additions on Miami dates? I have no idea what Miami will do for the rest of this offseason. You know, if you talk about draft picks, I mean, that'll be sometime this summer. But, um, you know, I'm not sure what Miami's plans are um, for anything. Jill May, why do you think Lamar didn't wait on his deal to get more money? Seems weird given that he could have tried to wait out either Burrow uh, or Herbert. Also, if you'll take... To, okay, that's another question. So, um, the Lamar one. Uh, you know, what I mentioned before, those guys are likely going to sign in August, you know, right at the, before camp starts or right after camp starts, and he's blocked at that point from doing an extension. So, he would have had to have knowledge that those guys were actively negotiating. And th- th- this is one of those areas where an agency might help, um, especially if they happen to represent those players. But... Um, you know, unless he knows that those guys are coming up for a deal, and it's very rare for that to happen, um, you know, he's not going to benefit from it. Uh, second question, have already answered Lamar one. Why do you think the defensive tackle market didn't explode as much as we thought? Both Lawrence and Simmons have super, uh, seemed super team friendly. So the Lawrence one, I think, did. Simmons, I thought would have gone a little more, but he, he wasn't much off of where I thought things would go. You know, that, that was going to be a next-man-up position. Uh, you know, I think the reason it hasn't exploded, exploded, is simply because you still have pass rushers who are kind of blocking that market. You know, you, you, you get into these things, and, you know, while we do talk about, you know, or I talk about a lot at least, you know, Aaron Donald served as a block at 22.5, and now he's at 30. But if you look right now at our edge rushers, we've got T.J. Watt at 28, Joey Bosa at 27, Miles Garrett at 25, Crosby at 23.5, Chubb at 22, Max an old contract at 23.5. So we've got those players. And you you get to Crosby at 23.5. It's not the easiest sell. Um... You know, if you're Simmons, if you're Payne, if you're Quinton Williams, if you're Dexter Lawrence, to say that you're more valuable than Crosby. Now, Crosby got a little screwed over um, based on his draft status, which I I think hindered him in his negotiations. Um, But even still, when you get to uh, Miles Garrett at 25, and his deal's a couple years, you know, old right now, but I, I think you get to a point where. You, you probably look at things and you're like, how can we have a market where, let, let, let's call Aaron Donald an edge, where we've got Donald 1, Watt 2, Bosa 3, Dexter Lawrence 4, Jeffrey Simmons 4, Quinn and Williams 4. Like, I think you start to scratch your head at that point. Um, you know, even if you take it a step further, you go Aaron Donald 1, Joey Bosa 2, Miles Garrett 3, Max Crosby and Simmons number four. Quinnen number five or Quinnen number four. Crosby five, Simmons five. Like, I, I think 
that's probably the hang-up. I, I think that's probably a big reason why Simmons got locked in at 23-5 versus 24. It was probably to uh, to match up with that, um, uh, you know, the Crosby deal. So I, I think that's probably the, the bridge that's a little tough to cross for some of these NFL teams. But it's kind of a weird scenario that you've got all these defensive tackles kind of coming up versus the edge rushers. And, you know, until Nick Bosa gets done and a couple other guys, it, it, it's kind of a weird thing because the edge has always been, you know, the more, um, the higher paid position and the the um, probably more impactful position. And you're kind of creating a marketplace now, which is probably more due to timing than anything else, that is defensive tackle centric. So... I, I think that that is probably a reason why that's happening um, at the moment. But, you know, we'll, we'll wait to see how that shakes out with Quinn and Williams. But I, I think that's probably a little bit of the underlying factor as to why these guys haven't gotten past that 23-5 just yet. Ricker, thoughts on the Dexter Lawrence deal compared to Simmons and Payne? Does it make sense to extend Andrew Thomas this offseason? How much space the Giants need to create to sign their draft class and operate the rest of the season? Um, I don't know enough of this Lawrence deal to say, just that I thought his annual value would be higher. He didn't. Um, Andrew Thomas, that's up to them. You know, however they want to uh, play that situation out. Um, you know, tackle market generally doesn't grow that quick, so they, they can kind of do that on their own timeline, however they want to do it. Um, Giants cap room right now, they're very low. Um, you know, they're over, you know, they're, they're going to have to restructure some deals. Um, you know, unless they have a June, I don't, I don't remember if they June won anyone. I don't think they did. Um, you know, Giants probably need to create somewhere around 8 million in cap space for the year. I think this is the last question, Old King. I'll, I'll do one more check to make sure. Uh, with so much dead cap this year, how much salary cap will the Rams have in 24, and how much dead cap is already added for 24? So the Rams are going to be in the top half of the league in cap space for next season. Um, let's see where they rank. At the moment, not including carryover, I have them at $53 million for next year. Um, that's already with 53 players under contract. Most of the teams above them don't have that. So they're probably going to rank a little higher. Um, let me do their effective cap space because their effective is going to be the same. So they're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have them 11th next year. Now that doesn't include carryover. The Rams are not going to have a great amount of carryover. Other teams will. Uh, they're okay with dead money for next year. They don't have that on the books just yet. Um, so, you know, they're, they're probably going to wind up top 10, top 12 in cap room. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll have some players they can cut as well. So they'll probably end up in the top 10. Um, it's just a question of, you know, what they choose to do, uh, with all that money. You know, if they are in full rebuilding mode where they're in a position to draft a quarterback, you're getting rid of Matt Stafford, you're getting rid of Cooper Cup, you're getting rid of Aaron Donald, you're moving, um, you know, all those guys along. Um, I think if you do that, you know, they, they might be more focused even on 2025 to where you're making, um, 
some moves, but you're not making a, a crazy amount of moves. Um, you know, I, I could see a situation where, you know, that's the case as well. But they're going to have a um, an ability to do some things with the cap that they haven't had in quite some time. All right. I think this is officially the last one now is Jeff. Um, safe to say Denver is stuck with Wilson through 2024 because of his $85 million dead cap in 24. No, I don't believe that's the case. I think Wilson is a candidate to get benched during the course of this year um, if things go sideways. The reason for that is I, I don't think they're going to look to pay out um, $37 million in 2025. If Wilson is on the roster next year, his salary in 2025 is fully guaranteed, I think. Um, $37 million or close to $37 million becomes guaranteed. Let me look that up. Russell Wilson. Let me look at my notes. My notes a little screwy on him. Let's see. Yeah, so if he is on the roster, um, he has his uh, $37 million salary in 2025 guaranteed. So you don't want that to happen. So you're just going to eat, um, eat the cost at that point in time. So his... 2024 dead money would be the same as his cap charge 35.4 and you know you you would be taking the balance of that number in 2025 49.6 which is less than what he's scheduled to, to make the 55.4 on the cap so you know you're not gaining much cap room in the the two-year period you know about six million dollars but you're saving 37 million dollars in salary that you'd have to pay him um, so I, I would say that he's a candidate, if he's playing poorly, he'll get benched halfway through this year to protect him, uh, protect the team because that $37 million is already injury guaranteed. So if he gets hurt, they can't avoid that protection from locking in. Um, so I, I think that they will uh, be very cautious with him if he sucks again. Um, and I think his release next year... Even though they owe him $17 million and there's $85 million in dead cap that's going to have to be accounted for, I think his release is certainly possible if he has a very bad year. Um, I don't think that number is you know, going to keep them from doing it. All right. So it, uh, you know, that'll be it for me today. Um, I don't think we will have a podcast next week. My daughter has a dance competition, and I guess we are staying there. So, unless I bring the microphone, which I'm sure is not going to happen, even though, as it turns out, her dance competition, I think, is going to be one day less than expected because of Mother's Day. Um, my wife had booked a hotel for this competition, so we're there through Sunday anyway. So... Uh, unless I catch up with everything and do a comp- uh, do a podcast Sunday at some point in time, probably no podcast next week, but uh, probably won't be too much in the way of NFL news anyway. Um, so probably be two weeks before we do another podcast, but uh, we'll see. So anyway, if anyone has any questions, send them over. Be your suggestions. Always happy to take them. Uh, everybody have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.